so I think I'll be honest with you, Ben. I think I went a little bit overboard with this one, but I got excited. Okay. Do you mean overboard? Like this is going to be a half hour episode? Maybe. All right. I'll try. I'll try to to not. Let's see where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. This is Reconceived with Ben and Joel. I am Joel. And I'm Ben. Ben, have you been, have you seen any good movies lately? Excellent question. Um, have you heard of Logan Lucky? No. It's like a redneck Ocean's Eleven. And that is all I'm going to say about it. Wow. Yep. It's beautiful. I, you have intrigued me. Good. I, I'm very, very interested to see that one. You should. It is a gem. It's free on Amazon. So. Oh, cool. I think I, I, I also want to talk about a movie that ha- has left me kind of in awe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't just mean this to, to like bump it up. And I don't think that this is a subjective opinion. I think this is fact. When I say this movie could be one of, if not the most important films of the past century. Are you talking about Twilight? No. I am talking about DreamWorks Animated Trolls World Tour. I see. Okay, here's a question, though. Do you? Uh, not really. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> to be honest. Um, All right, here, here's a here's a better question. Uh, have you have have you seen the movie? I have not. Okay, great. I haven't either. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I don't have to, and I don't need to, to make the claim and to to understand how any of this is possible and and why I can say this with a straight face. Uh, We need to go back to the very beginning of cinema. Uh, Movie theaters and cinema have been linked as one unit from the very beginning. Pieces of motion pictures became a hot novelty in the 1890s, and to match it, temporary theaters would pop up to show these films so that the people can see images that moved. It was really, really crazy to think of at the time. But there were serious doubts as to whether this medium had any legs. And after a while, the audiences will eventually grow tired of the novelty and move on with their lives. So the novelty of the way that it was being produced as in like oh we're tired of the moving picture as we see it i want different moving pictures or tired of like i just screw movies let's like do cocaine just uh, well just the idea of moving pictures right because at this point that's all it was a most quote-unquote movies were literally just they set up a camera on a tripod and rolled the film of people entering and exiting trains Uh, or leaving work fascinating and that was all the entertainment needed to be at that time because the simple idea that i'm looking at a picture and yet somehow the picture is moving that was insane and unbelievable 
eventually though the people who were who invented movies were thinking this isn't going to last no one's going to care about this that is until a very important invention or a very important technique was invented by one man named Edwin S Porter and he is the person responsible for movie cuts where two pieces of film are cut and then stitched together before that time it was all one take one roll no cuts hmm. and because of that that gave movie directors the ability to tell interesting stories and to skip through time and to skip across places it gave the omniscience that defines movies hmm. so edwin s porter the, the guy who fundamentally created the idea of movies. He created several movies such as The Great Train Robbery. Ah, yes. That was also around the time where the very first permanent motion picture house was completed in 1902 in California. That was known as Tally's Electric Theater. And, and, and with the, the release of Edwin's Great Train Robbery, that established theaters into this new medium proving that the audience wanted this similarly the now infamously troublesome film the birth of a nation gave birth to the idea of feature films which brought theater owners to the decision to abandon their approach of the nickelodeon theater charging only a nickel for entry into the movie house now with this hot commodity theaters were incentivized to charge take a wild guess a dime Oof. The, the, the truth is too scary sometimes yeah they were they were charging twice as much a whopping 10 cents do you know what the scary part scary part is ben i do not know what the scary part is that was 10 cents at least oh goodness i some theaters were going up to 15 or 20 cents that is an outrage i know i know I could hardly believe it either. But I mean, on the other hand, can you imagine if you like went to the movies and they're like, yeah, we know we were just 10 bucks, but now 20. Yeah. That isn't actually that unusual because that happens yeah. today. I, hey, Ben, I can, I can imagine that pretty darn easily. But it happens. I, I feel like it happens more gradually uh, today. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But still, the, the, uh, part of, of what made this appropriate and what made this kind of upcharge realistic was the fact that the medium after it had been established as something that could last it was starting to get this notability and respectability that made it something worth more so around the same time of birth of the nation there was already a wave to to make this a respectable business with with theaters like the Regent Theater in 1913, the Mark St Strand Theater in 1914, both of which were in New York City, and of course the illustrious Million Dollar Theater in downtown Los Angeles in 1918. All of these theaters pushed aside the the traditions of Nickelodeon theaters and instead looked to a future of a utopic paradise for for theater goers. And Birth of the Nation, once again, was the movie that legitimized that possibility and legitimized that belief that this could be done. They had the content to prove 
the theory. So the theaters, because of one particular release of a movie, they're like, yep, we can, we are financially viable. We can do something different now. Well, I mean, think about it. This is something that the, the theaters had been wanting to do for up to five years at that point. The, the Regent Theater uh, that was built in 1913 took several years just to to build. And at that point, they didn't know whether or not this was actually a feasible goal, but they knew that it was possible. And when Birth of the Nation came, that was the final tipping point to confirm that the idea of, yeah, this change is possible and this success proves that. So as the next 20 years progressed, this dream only became more of a reality as cinemas were transformed into what's called now movie palaces. Gone were the days of the rickety storefront Nickelodeons, and in its place were pieces of a new architectural genre defined by excessive luxury. Giant screens, specialized seats with pivoted backs, and some of the first buildings ever to install air conditioning. Everything about this place was comfort. These lush theaters symbolized a utopic system of perfect profit for the film industry. This was the dream that the studios had always wished that their theaters would be. So this is, I don't want to cut in too much, but this, this model of a theater, is it true that those were like the most comfortable places you could spend time? Absolutely. So some people might just go in there just to be in air-conditioned yeah. buildings? Yeah, that's what they were designed to be. Everything was made for comfortability and luxury. And everything was perfect. That is, it was, until May 3rd of 1948. You see, up to that point, most theaters were actually owned by Hollywood studios, which meant that about eight major companies had a horizontal integrated monopoly on the whole industry both of the production and of the distribution they completely okay, explain co the horizontal integrated part that means that they're they're all on the same level and integrated means like they're all owned by the same company i'm not quite sure how i'd uh, I, explain I, those words yeah so fr from what i understand um the the situation was almost like an oligopoly where it was only a handful of companies that had complete control over the entire medium. So they were the ones that would make the money both from the distribution of the films and the exhibition of the films. And since, you know, movies at this point had already become such a integral part to culture, that left them very profitable, but very, very um, shady in that sense. On May 3rd of 1948, though, the U.S. Supreme Court found them guilty of violating the Sherman Antitrust Act, resulting in them having to relieve ownership and control over all of the theaters that they owned. So after that, there were now effectively two entirely separate and yet codependent industries in the cinema world, film studios and movie theaters. And is that is that the time when they started becoming more competitive with each other? Well, not yet. Because despite that and the rise of television, the two worlds ruled the medium harmoniously. 
for decades as the only quality and true film experience. Sure, there was programming on TV, but it wasn't nearly as great as the movies, and the only place that you could see true Hollywood experiences was in the movie theater. Both industries stayed just as lucrative as they were when they were the same. However, all of that started to come crashing down with the threat of home video. So when VHS and Betamax formats were introduced in the early 80s, they were actually treated similarly to theater releases. Instead of being able to just buy the cassettes, video rental stores cropped up where you could rent movies and shows for a limited time, almost like you're buying a ticket to see the film. Hmm. Soon after though, people made it known that they wanted to build their own home libraries of these films. This wasn't really an issue whatsoever for the studios because they were still making profit. However, it was a bit too good of a scene for them in the opinion of theaters. Provisions were quickly put into place to ensure that the purity of the movie theater stayed as the one true cinematic experience. So movies with theatrical releases are signed on for 70 to 90 day theater exclusionary rights, prohibiting the distribution of the films until they have maxed out their profits from the box office first. That is why you have to wait for a movie to come out on DVD or now rental. Uh, the success of a film has always been measured by those box office ticket sales and they made sure to keep that the same. And in order to even be considered for an Oscar, a film has to have a minimum seven day theatrical run in a LA commercial theater. Otherwise, it is illegitimate and not even considered for best picture. Now, all of that seems reasonable. Due to the movie palace aesthetic, the driving thought is that people are more likely to watch movies in that extraordinary environment of comfort first rather than their own home. After all, ticket sales have usually been the primary source of a film's income. As the times went on though, these conventions started to be seriously doubted. DVDs, Blu-rays, and now video on demands and streaming have continually made millions of dollars and has progressively seemed like more and more of a viable and self-sustaining option that would leave the studios with more profit. Studios have started to take notice that the theaters they have had a codependent relationship with have become desperate leeches trying to hold on to their only source of revenue while the studio tries to experiment with other options. Companies like NBC Universal have been dying to experiment with premium video on demand for years now as an alternative to theatrical releases, but that would have burned bridges uh, with theaters and all the perks that come along with that world. The risk that the bluff was real was too heavy. Hmm. So as for what theaters have been trying to do to incentivize people to come back, theaters pushed that idea of 3D. That's why it was so big 10 years ago. They, they were trying to convince people with the novelties of 3D glasses and that technology. But 
much like the original fears of film's fate in its early days, the general populace has pretty much grown out of it entirely, and the novelty of 3D has worn off. Yeah, there are there are a few movies that look better in 3D. Most of them also look fine in 2D. So there's there's yeah. I think maybe one film that I think I'd like to see in 3D, like in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Maybe some Christopher Nolan stuff, but like you, most movies really don't need it. Sure. No. And like, just think about when that was first starting to become popular, right? Every movie was 3D, and that was how you wanted to experience all films. It was supposed to be so immersive. But as novelty has worn off, so has its fascination. That's where we come to the present of the time of pandemic and the importance of Trolls World Tour. Cinemas everywhere were forced to close. And at first, the studio world stopped alongside it, delaying the release of many films. That is, until NBC Universal finally took the opportunity they had been waiting for for years. A low-risk, high-reward chance to bypass the limits of the theater leech. They released DreamWorks Trolls World Tour on its pre-pandemic release date of April 10th. And after only three weeks, the movie had made almost $100 million. In that time, though, the studio had actually made nearly the exact same profit as the original Trolls movie in its entire run. (laughs) Both films gave the studios about $77 million in profit even though the original Trolls movie made $153 million in theaters. This is because they only the studios only get to keep about 50% or less of the revenue with box office sales, while on video on demand, they get about 80% of the split. Hmm. So that, that breakdown definitely favors them a lot more. Yeah, which means that they can make more money with less tickets. Right. Another reason why Universal has been dying to make this leap. No one knew whether or not it was actually a viable option if anyone would ever watch. But this movie gave them the opportunity to take that chance. And it paid off tremendously. Theaters have been extremely upset as their smokescreen of necessity has essentially been completely destroyed. And though they're trying to fight back, studios have broken the barrier of curiosity. So, a a little timeline. After Trolls World Tour's success, AMC Entertainment Holdings Inc. wrote an open letter to NBC Universal, denouncing the studio and refusing to book any of the studio's movies as long as they continue to pursue PVOD, which is Premium Video On Demand. Mm -hmm. Despite the threat, though, it hasn't stopped NBC Universal and other studios from refraining to release even more movies breaking the 90-day exclusionary deal. So some of the biggest family summer movies like Warner Brothers Scoob and Disney's Artemis Fowl have gone straight to streaming and video on demand with considerable success so far. Then, the final nail on theater's coffins? On April 21st, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences confirmed that they would consider, for the first time 
ever movies released only via streaming for this year's Oscars. Hmm. And that's where we are presently. So I have a couple of questions, and I know this is pushing it, so you can do with the time what you will. Sure. First, do you think that it might just be because of the pandemic and there were so few options to people to entertain themselves otherwise? Because I, th- I feel like under normal circumstances, it may not have been quite as successful, and this isn't quite as normal as an, of an experiment as they might have wanted. That is a question that people have really been considering. Um, and and uh, real, realistically speaking, Trolls World Tour probably wouldn't be as successful as it was uh, without the circumstances surrounding it. It hardly had any competition as a brand new children's movie in the time where parents are desperate to see new films with their kids. Mm-hmm. Despite that, though, they did pull uh, people who watched the movie and a very promising number of people said that most likely in other circumstances they would still have uh, streamed Trolls World Tour. Now, if you consider that high number, which I think, if I remember correctly, was about 53% said that they would have certainly streamed it. Hmm. And if there isn't a choice to see a movie in theaters, that may end up incentivizing people to just simply watching it at their homes. Theaters like AMC cutting out the opportunity for uh, studios to show movies in their screens could actually end up making VODs even more profitable for the studios, completely reversing the entire point that the theaters were trying to make. Does that make sense? It does. I I think I would have a a follow-up set of thoughts in that there are some movies like Logan Lucky that I mentioned at the beginning that I would, yeah, I definitely would not see that in theaters. I don't know if it was even ever released in theaters. Probably not. However, there are movies that I definitely would only see in theaters, like the mm. Star Wars movies. I wouldn't premiere them, for sure. Sure. Um, the the Christopher Nolan movie that's coming out, Tenet. I'm not going to see that one. I'm not going to wait until it comes out and watch it on my TV. I'm going to see that in theaters, because that's the movie-going experience. You know, now it's not, I'm going to be in an air-conditioned room, because we already have that, but it's the, I'm going to sit in a more comfortable chair... I'm going to be in a completely dark environment. There will be complete focus. It will be a bigger screen. There will be better sound. It's an atmosphere that I think fits that movie in particular. Mm. Now, I don't know how many movies fall into that category, but I bet that there are movies that are less like children's movies will still need a theater release or rather would do better with theater release than a premiere video on demand. Absolutely. What I'm not trying to say is that theaters are going to go away completely or that theaters aren't a better environment for watching movies because, frankly, if you care about cinema, they are. Um, What I hope to see, and the more that I've thought of it, the more that I I think this is a possibility, is the de-commercialization of theater movies. You, you mentioned three that, like, you cannot imagine not seeing in theater. Can you imagine three that you would be all right skipping the theater experience for? Oh, for sure. Um, the Lego Movie 2, Logan Lucky, I've mentioned that one continually, um, 
A lot of Disney movies don't need to be seen in theaters, like the Prince Disney Princess movies. Eh, I can wait. I, I with with the exception of Logan Lucky, there. I think what is unique about that is the fact that all of those are made for profit. The Lego Movie Two was made as a commercial to Lego. It may be a very good commercial, but it's still commercial nonetheless. The Disney movies are made for profit for kids who want to see their favorite special Disney princesses. People that care about cinema, not just movies, but cinema, those are the people that are going to keep theaters alive. Which means that the movies that are going to be made for profit, the movies that are made for children, the movies that are made to to sell to people who want just a fun time, those have a market in the home now. This could be the start of making a less corporate cinema experience and more so fill theaters with movies intent to evoke movies intent to be art Hmm. that would certainly be an improvement this is theaters reconceived 